Romans chapter 3, I just want to pull out a few verses out of this this morning. We covered some of this actually on Wednesday night, but, but I think it's, it's important to, to almost extract part of this and, and do a little bit of topical teaching on this. I'm going to back up all the way to verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. However, I'm just going to focus on Romans 24 and part of, but not all of, uh, verse 25. So Romans chapter 3, beginning with the 21st verse. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, Father, we ask that you would uh, give us understanding of this passage, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this for us, that we would, uh, that we would glean from this passage and, and even further develop our understanding of the work that you have done for us, the work of the cross, and, and how the work of the cross has done so much for us, not only in saving us, but restoring us and reconciling us and justifying us. So give us an ear to hear what the Spirit would say to each of us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So, in looking at this passage here in verse 24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth, I'm in verse 25, as a propitiation by his blood. And so what you have just in this little passage is you have uh, some illumination of, of some of the things that the cross accomplished. You have words like propitiation. We talked about this on Wednesday night, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover this again uh, this morning. And... Uh, words like propitiation and, and uh, words like redemption and even uh, words like um, justification. And what this is really all pointing to is our reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ. And, and, and so when we think about what did the cross accomplish and when we ask these questions, and I, and I, I just... I think Romans 3 is what a wonderful place for us to be in as we are approaching Passion Week, as we are approaching next Sunday, Palm Sunday, uh, uh, to, to have these things in our mind and, and to allow uh, the Spirit to, to, to further uh, give us understanding as we go and as through our week and think about, hopefully think about these things. Um, 
But what's interesting about this passage is rather than, than just dry theological terminology, which I know I'm, I'm a little bit strange. I really like, I'm not, I call it dry for you. I don't consider it dry. I consider it really exciting, actually. I, 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 I like reading big, thick theological books even now, and it's, uh, it's enjoyable for me. I know that some people, that's not your cup of tea, and I understand that. But what I think what is interesting about this passage, in the theological terminology, there is also some very vivid and good imagery. There, there's some images that, that are here, the images of our salvation uh, or the images of our uh, atonement, which in, in many respects um, is easier, I think, than just theological theories and, or theological doctrines uh, to consider. First of all, and, and I'm not going to put them in order. I'm just going to use the order that I have them here in front of me. But in verse 25, you have that word propitiation, which I call it a church word, right? All right, it's, it's propitiation is a church word. Um, and, and we talked about this on Wednesday night, but it talked about this idea of, of appeasement uh, of, to God this idea of atoning to God, uh, this idea of being a substitute to God. Uh, but it, the picture that propitiation should hopefully implant in your mind is the picture of an offering before the altar. It's an Old Testament word because the word propitiation is a word that uh, is used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It is the same word that is used uh, to describe the mercy seat. And remember the mercy seat, which is the lid, essentially, on the Ark of the, of the Covenant. And the interesting thing about the mercy seat was that that was the place where what? The blood was applied among other places, by the way, but that was the, where the sacrificial blood w was splattered on the mercy seat. God dwelt above the mercy seat, and it was there that he communed with humanity through the high priest. So when you think propitiation, think of the offering before the altar. Because the interesting thing about propitiation, that was the place where the blood was applied well, what blood? In the Old Testament, it was the blood of the bulls or the blood of the sheep or, or other animals that was applied. In the holy of holies not made with hands, it was the place where Jesus came and applied his own blood and offered up as a sacrifice for our sin. Hebrews tells us this once and for all. So propitiation implies a death sacrifice. Propitiation implies a, a death sacrifice, but think of the offering before the altar. And then there's this idea of the redemption. In him we have redemption. Um, in verse uh, 24, uh, being, uh, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, the redemption is interesting because you have to think about the marketplace where they sold, bought and sold slaves. And this word redemption, 
with it brings along the imagery of someone who would go into the slave market and buy slaves, specifically for the purpose of doing what? Of setting them free. So we have propitiation, the altar, uh, the offering before the altar, and then we have redemption, which is the, 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 the slave market transaction. The actual transaction that took place at the slave market. And what was the transaction that, was, that Jesus paid for our sins with? It was with his own blood. It was with his own blood. So again, both of these pictures imply the blood of Jesus Christ. And then there's justification. Justification. Justification should take you before or your mind, it should take your mind in thinking about the legal proceedings. Standing before the judge. And Jesus steps in right before we are to be condemned guilty and he steps in and he offers to take the guilty sentence for us. So we're standing before the judge. And then fourthly, it's not written here, but it implies this, I think, very strongly. There's this idea of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is is, uh, this idea of experience uh, being in a home or being in a family. Or particularly... Part of reconciliation, and, and it's, it's said so well to us in the Gospels with the, with the story of whom? The prodigal son. Where the prodigal son went out and lived like the theological place of eternal punishment, and when he finally came to his senses as he was sleeping with the pigs. Can you imagine that? Anyway, never mind. Uh, don't visualize that, okay? I've already given you three good Im- four good imageries. I don't want to fo- follow it up with sleeping with the pigs. But anyway, he finally comes home. And so it's this idea of a homecoming. This idea of of, uh, being restored and being brought into the family. And so foundationally to all of these concepts is really the, as I've mentioned already, the act of substitution. Jesus takes our guilty sentence for us. Uh, Jesus uh, pays the price Um, to redeem us in the slave market and it was Jesus whose blood was offered up once and for all in a holy of holies not made with hands uh, uh, before the altar of God to be that one final ultimate sacrifice for each of us. That's why I believe particularly that, that in communion it's there's a, I think when we take communion, I think there's a lot going on between us and the Spirit. But it I, primarily, to me, uh, the way I understand the Bible is that um, it's more of a memorial. I knew I was missing something. It was more of a memorial than anything else. But, but nonetheless, I think uh, it is a time where the Holy Spirit can really begin to do business with us as well. Um, but it's, it's the recognition of Jesus' sacrifice and his substitution. Substituting your death and it then becoming his death. So, so this idea of propitiation, I'm going I'm to go back through these terms again uh, a little bit and then sum this up. Uh, this, this idea of propitiation, it first deals with the wrath of God. Okay. 
It first deals with God's wrath, uh, which we really had began to talk about this in the book of Romans, all the way back to Romans chapter 1, um, verse, uh, it actually it's in chapter 1, verse 18, where it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, so we, we, man has, humanity has a problem because they have sinned and therefore, um, not only have we sinned and therefore separated ourselves from God, but, but our sin nature, if it, if it, if it is left unchecked, um, we begin to perfect the art of sinning. You ever think about that? I mean, I've met people that it's like, boy, you, you sin and you sin well. You do it well, you know. Not that you should, all right. I'm not saying that. But, I, but what I'm saying is that, that, that it, in our flesh, we don't ever get better. We don't ever get better. Um, sometimes we become craftier. But sinners do what sinners do. And the best that sinners do better than anything else is they do what? They sin. Therefore, they have a problem with the separation of relationship between them and God, and then they also have to deal with the wrath of God. Because sin arouses God's anger. Now, we don't, I don't, this isn't popular, is it? You know, I, I, and I, I've talked about this quite a bit recently, is I think in our thinking, I think in our thinking, right, Often it is is that we really want God to grade on a curve. And what that really means for many of us is that I want God to judge that guy really harshly and be really gracious to me because after all, I'm a pretty good guy, right? Ask my wife. No, never mind, don't. Anyway. But we don't like to talk about God's anger. But the reality is our sins have separated us from him. And, and we have to understand God's righteous anger in the context of his righteousness because he is not like, he's not angry like you. If God was angry like you, we would be in a lot of trouble now, wouldn't we? It's not an easy one to hear, is it? I can see the looks on your faces. Um, but I think it's true. God's anger is held in his righteousness. And so because of this, because we have separated ourselves from God, God does a work by him coming in the flesh and dwelling with us and being that substitute for us where he appeases the wrath of the Father. And in doing so, in verse 25, it tell, and I, I covered this on, on, on Wednesday night, but in doing so, um, God the Father sets forth Jesus Christ, his Son, as the mercy seat or the propitiation. Uh, it says, by his blood which implies his death, uh, and to demonstrate God's righteousness. 
So it's a demonstration of God's righteousness. God, who is a holy God, cannot, and I've been saying this a lot, but this is so important to understand, God does not sweep sin under the rug. And I want to say, I know some of you won't like this, but that's okay. I want to say I wish he would. Sometimes. But if he did, if he did, he would be less than the God than he declares himself to be. Does that make sense? In other words, he would no longer be holy. Just kind of kick it off to the side and pretend like it didn't happen, right? So God sets forth Jesus Christ as that mercy seat, as that place where the blood is applied, as that place where God can meet with humanity. And so God takes his own loving initiative to appease his own righteous anger by bearing the sin himself in his own son when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dies for us. And therefore, we can be justified freely by grace. But first, I want to talk about redemption, then jump into re, uh, to justification. This I, as I mentioned earlier, this idea of redemption is this idea of ransoming, this idea of buying something back. It's this idea of... of of, of rescuing, ransoming, buying someone out of captivity. But the word itself focuses on the state of the person who is being redeemed and the bondage that they are in. The state of the person who is being redeemed and the bondage that they are in. And the book of Exodus is very is an incredible picture of this because in Exodus chapter 6, uh, verse 6, I won't turn to it, but it ba- basically the Lord declares with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm, uh, I will redeem you. It's this, this great, uh, this great uh, um, expenditure, if you will, of God's mighty uh, uh, supernatural power when he redeemed Israel from the hand of, of Pharaoh in Egypt. Pharaoh didn't want to let him go. He had, a, he had a, a labor force, free of charge. And, and Israel, the, the, the children of Israel at that time were in Sorry. But Pharaoh had a labor force. Why would he want to give that up? He had free labor. And yet God made a promise to whom? Abraham. It's part of the Abrahamic covenant that they would go into into slavery. Which I find fascinating. The Lord prophesied that this would happen. But also prophesied that he would lead them out. And out of Egypt, he calls his son, which is a picture of the Messiah who later from Egypt is called forth from Egypt, uh, even though he's young, as a young child. And so this idea of, of this redemption, 
Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Ever think about that verse? Something we ought to think about on Good Friday. <laughs> really? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Can you imagine God becoming the very curse that he expressed toward the thing that he hates, which is sin? I mean, think about that a second. When you, not the best term, but I'm going to use it anyway. When you curse something, could you imagine yourself actually being the recipient of that curse? And that is exactly what Jesus did in his act of redemption. You see, while the word redemption really refers and focuses on the one who is being delivered, when we think about what Jesus did, it really flips that focus around 180 degrees at recognizing that he was the one who became a curse for us. He redeemed us. He purchased us with his blood. And then there's justification. Justification is, is an interesting uh, word because, and I don't know if we, we think about this often, but in the Greek, it's really the opposite of condemnation. It is the opposite of condemnation. Um, Romans chapter 5, I'm always worried that I'm going to put a typo here and, and refer to the wrong verse, but okay. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. That's referring to Adam, but we're going to get into this later as we go, go through this book. Resulting in condemnation. Okay, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, and therefore we're all condemned. Even so, through one man's righteous act, and that one man, that's referring to Jesus. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Now, sometimes to understand concepts, it's always good to have those opposites. And so, with condemnation being the opposite of justification, when you turn to Romans 5.18, I think it really lays it out for you pretty clearly. And, and so, this idea of, of uh, where it tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. And, and boy, there's that, I could have just camped out on that term this morning. So we have been, we have been made, uh, we have been declared not guilty. Justified means we are declared not guilty. It's very different than amnesty. You know what amnesty, the difference between justification and amnesty is? Amnesty uh, is really, in, in some regards, now I, I shouldn't say this, it's, it's, political climate is so hot. Amnesty really is almost really a pardon without principle. And often it is politically driven. And, and it's, uh, it's a forgiveness that overlooks sin, amnesty is, 
And, and in, in amnesty, it's really an expression of grace, but, but it, there really often isn't justice served. But the difference between amnesty and God's justice, uh, it is this pronouncement that we have been declared legally righteous. And then we are now free from the liability of sin because Jesus Christ has borne that penalty for us. We have been declared legally. If you want to consider the courtroom of heaven, we have been declared legally righteous. So it, this, I, this work that Jesus did on the cross to justify us was not a form of amnesty. It was justification, which means we are in the not guilty category. We're not in the guilty category, but, our, the, but the president let us off for political reasons. So we have been justified. We have been declared not guilty and done so freely. In other words, we didn't pay a bribe. In other words, we didn't have friends in high places that could politically influence the judge. But it's done freely without cost. Justified freely by his grace. And so, it is a gracious justification and don't mistake it for amnesty it is a gracious justification whereby someone paid the penalty for each of us and due process was served and the penalty was paid and the penalty that you and I were liable for, he pays that penalty for us freely by his grace, his unmerited love, that unmerited favor that we receive from him. So that's justification. And because of the propitiation of Jesus, the redemptive work of Jesus, and the justification whereby Jesus, uh, because he bears the penalty for us, he became sin who knew no sin that we might obtain the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because he bore the penalty and allows us to be to, uh, to be declared not guilty, then we are reconciled. Then we're reconciled. We're declared righteous. Reconciliation, again, to use a contrast to understand it, it is the opposite of alienation. Ever been in a place where you feel alienated? Of course you have. We all have. And it's not a lot of fun, is it? What's the interesting thing about, about reconciliation uh, as, as well is it is an invitation 
that God extends to each and every one of us. That we enter into this fullness of fellowship, fullness of relationship with him. Which when I think about reconciliation, I think reconciliation and sanctification run parallel. In other words, this being conformed to the image of Christ, it runs parallel. Why? Because have I fully been reconciled? On God's side, I have. On God's side, I have. But sometimes I don't feel quite so easy about my relationship with him. Right? I still have those ghosts of the past that tend to haunt you. And I think part of the reconciliation, which is coupled with the work of sanctification, is that, that, that as we become more Christ-like, I believe that the Lord is attempting and desiring to set us free from all that guilt and all that shame and all that, that nonsense that some of us still carry around. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And, and, and boy, that, that is something that we need to live. That is something that we need to claim. That is something that we need to remind ourselves of, I think, often. Because we want to live at times, at least within our heart of hearts, as if that verse does not even exist. But we've been reconciled. Now remember, reconcil- reconciliation requires two parties or more, right? But essentially two parties. On the Lord's side, it's a done deal. On our side, sometimes we're just not quite so sure. So, reconciliation gives us peace with God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Well, that's a, that's a powerful verse. That Jesus Christ has made peace and reconciling all things to himself and having done so through the blood of his cross. This idea of being the propitiation and offering up his own blood into a holy of holies not made with hands also results in us being at peace with him. Not only that, we are also adopted. Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. If we've been reconciled, if we have peace with God, if we've been adopted, then we therefore have access to God. Right? A lot of people walk into my house without knocking. That's just the way it is, I guess. I've gotten used to it, right? My kids can always not walk in. My grandkids always do. Matter of fact, my, my daughter-in-law is trying to teach my grandson not to just walk in. Uh, and I don't care, you know. Um, but some people, I'd rather they not just walk in. Or there are times, like in the middle of the night, we're asleep. I'd rather they not walk in. 
But you see, we have that same access that our grandson and our granddaughter have to our house, and our kids do, and a lot of other people do. We have that same access. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive grace and mercy in time of need. You have that kind of access. You have that ability to go before the Lord and to receive that grace so that, again, going back to this piece of reconciliation, so that you can, in your own heart and in your own mind and in your own soul, begin to live in the reconciliation that you are in. And see it from God's side rather than from your side. Does that make sense? And we can have that access to, Lord, I need your grace now because I don't feel very worthy. I don't feel very reconciled. I don't always feel like I have that peace with God. And I'm not so sure that I've really been adopted, but I'll trust you in what your word has declared. These are just some of the works of the cross. And some of the things that Jesus did for us because God set him forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previous committed and to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your great faithfulness and how you have done so many things that we often, I think, fail to recognize. How that God the Father set you forth as a propitiation or a mercy seat or, or the atonement of our sins. That you have redeemed us. That you have justified us and because of those things you have also reconciled us and that we are no longer alienated. We are no longer strangers from you. And that we are able to experience the peace of God that surpasses understanding. So Lord, we pray that you would be with us this week and begin just to minister to our hearts as we consider Palm Sunday, as we consider the Passion Week, as we consider Good Friday, as we consider the resurrection of Easter Sunday. And we'd ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us And we also know, too, Lord, that, that we will find you when we seek you with our whole hearts. So give us that wholeness of heart to seek after you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.